Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. Danny V here. This episode is part of the Summer Series Takeover 2021, where a friend of the pod, a writer or illustrator who has been interviewed on the podcast, chooses an author of their choice to chat about whatever they like. This episode is with Ben Hobson and Kyle Perry. Enjoy. Danny, Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do. You know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well That's done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I can edit that bit out, I can do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Danny V from Words and Nerds has opened us up to have a chat about whatever we liked. And I remembered that there was an Instagram exchange between you and I where you said that if I ever got a chance to record a podcast that I needed to invite you on first. So <laughs> here we that are. That is correct. Here we yeah. are. I remember, I can't remember which podcast it was on, but I heard it, an episode of yours and I thought, this guy, this guy's got the voice. This guy's got the charisma. He needs to start his new show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling the pressure now. Um, <laughs> but, and I mean, I'm talking to you. This is an obviously an audio podcast, and uh, but I have visuals, so I can see Kyle's beautiful beard and his lovely face in my uh, eyesight here. And I can also see behind you, Kyle, you know, mm. pink and yellow post-its, and I feel like you might be in the middle of doing something, so... Can you explain to, to the Words and Nerds audience, what have you been up to recently with your writing? So my debut novel, The Bluffs, came out in July last year and I was contracted for two books. So I immediately had to launch into writing my second book, which mm -hmm. is The Deep, which is due out this year in July. And then I managed to land another contract for another two books so as a crime writer, it's That's ideal. That's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing. Um, and especially in COVID, to get another two-book deal in COVID was a pretty big deal with um, my publisher. So I feel really lucky, especially just uh, 
that the fairy tale continues, that readers are still buying my book and showing love and support. Well, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen figures, but just the amount of industry talk and everyone was talking about the bluffs and I saw it everywhere. And, and as soon as I picked it up, I had to finish it. You know, you read that first page, you just have to power through the whole thing. So it's no surprise to me that you've got all these books, you know, upcoming, <laughs> but it must be uh, just hugely encouraged. Like you say, especially at the time of coronavirus, I guess that there were talks that book sales were going down a little bit. So you, you might've been worried about that a little. Yeah. I mean, it, what sucked the most last year was not getting a book tour. Mm. Um, which um, I was slated to get one, which is itself a big deal. And it's always been part of the, the dream, you know, to be a writer and then to go on your two week book tour around Australia and get to, you know, get put up in hotels and driven to bookshops and sign books, kind of lines out the door. Yeah. 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 It would be, it would have been awesome. But anyway, so not getting that was a bit of a bummer, but aside from that, I wouldn't change anything about last year because I have seen the figures and I've got no ability to recall <laughs> what they are, but I know that book sales <laughs> are up. That's good. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, but to come back to your first question. So where I, yeah. I landed another contract and so as a crime writer, I'm not sure if they said this to you, but um, it's pretty ideal if you can get a, a crime novel out every year, like it, it mm. builds... Uh, it's just a really good pace for crime writer. It's what, what your audience, what your readers want. And so I committed to that because yeah. I thought I could. Um, but my second book, The Deep, was tr a tricky beast. Most second books are, but it was quite tricky to the point that I felt really like I didn't want to go through that stress again. So I figured for book three, um, I would start plotting. I might actually plot the whole thing out before I put pen to paper. So sure. that's why I've got sticky notes behind me and um, I got a cork board at my feet full of index cards and pins. And I have to say, I'm not, I'm not really enjoying it. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm enjoying the time wasting part, but it's just a bit, I'm just a bit scared, Ben, that it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, hang on. so go back just a little. So the deep, what, mm. is it the deep that I'm saying it right? Yeah. 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 Oh, excellent title, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. And so that the the main that was a headache for you with how the plot worked. So that was specific to um, plotting, or what was the thing? Because you said it was a little bit of a, a stressful. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. What? What? Long story short, is that I had two stories uh, living co concurrently, concurrently, side by side. In the book, um, the the best way that me and my publisher could describe it is that I, I had two energies vying for supremacy in the one book, and right. they just weren't blending. So, what happened is one of those plots, um, I was asked to pull that out and give it its own book, which will be book four, maybe. Wow, um, okay, and, that's huge. And the other plot. Yeah, well, it is when that plot was about 60,000, 70,000 words. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> so, which is fine. That's great. Yeah. But it just, it just, it was, it was a lot of time. And when you're trying to write a book a year, time is somewhat, it's a bit of a precious resource, man. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's all right. It was great. Yeah, it was I fine. guess that's fair. Like, I guess, you know, 
for maybe a literary author who sort of gets to push around at the edges a bit and just write 80,000 words in a direction and sort of go, okay, well, I figured that out. That doesn't work. And you're, mm. you know, you're sort of every word is a bit more precious maybe. How many words do you write like in a session? Do you sort of have a goal for yourself as you're writing? Um, no, no, I don't. And the reason for that is pretty you probably unique to me. I have, I have a learning disability called dyscalculia or dyscalculia, okay. depending on how you pronounce it, which is essentially dyslexia, but with numbers. Wow. Um, okay. It's surprisingly common. It's as common as dyslexia. About one in 30 people have it. It's just not very often diagnosed because there's a cultural assumption that maths is hard. But how it presents that's for so, me... Sorry, that's so interesting. <laughs> I've never <laughs> heard of that. I've never heard of that. And I, I'm, an, I'm a teacher. I don't teach maths, but... that's Sorry to interrupt you. That's so interesting. Anyway, no, no, no. no it's, it's, a, it's a big thing because I, I found it out because I was working at... I was working in high school uh, as a youth worker. And part of my role was helping students with some of their schoolwork. And I was sitting down with a... a was a year eight, a year eight student. And we're doing this simple mental maths. And this kid was running rings around me. And like he, <laughs> I was at a school for kids who did not engage in school. So this kid should not be running rings around me, a grown man. And the, the manager came over and she's actually, she's actually the, um, the mum of my best friend, like, you know, Tassie, small world. But yeah. she said to me, she said, Kyle, weren't you ducks of your school? <laughs> and I said, yeah, but I've never been able to do maths. Anyway, and then so we looked into it and I had all the symptoms. Um, so, like, I read numbers back to front. Um, sometimes I can't read the time. I have no real concept of distance or quantity. And okay. I have no number memory. So, if you, you tell me a number or a figure, um, if I turn away, turn around three times, I've forgotten it almost instantly. Wow. So, keeping track of number... Uh, targets is just not, it's not, it doesn't work. You can't do it, yeah. So what do you, so what do, you do? You just sort of write, write by scene or you just go until you can't go or? Yeah, I just do that. I just go until I can't go. I'm, yeah. I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky that um, probably the same as most writers, but, but writing is my flow state, right? It's where I, I go into yeah. a zone where I lose track of time and temperature and, you know, what's going on around me. So... I just write until I get a sore neck or I get a little bit fatigued. And then, um, yeah, I just put it down until I start again. Yeah, right. Um, and so I guess coming back to what we were talking about before with, with book number two, mm. so what was the main, I don't know whether we got to the main sort of headache thing that sort of happened with that book. I oh, know you said there was a two storylines and you had to pull yeah. one out. And so you That's thought then... Going back to plotting, I might not waste the words as much in the wrong direction. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I don't, I don't usually plot. I, 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 yeah, I'm a much more fly by the seat of the pants writer, and yeah. so I. Because if I start to plot, I get a little bit, little bit itchy, a little bit crazy, a little bit claustrophobic, which is what I'm yeah. feeling right now. These core thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> but you feel, I you also, feel kind of hemmed in. Like that's what I get. Like I get kind of like. I feel restricted a little bit. Like yeah, I don't, okay. I don't like the the idea that I have to do a thing. Like I want to be able to feel a scene as it's happening. And um, I know whether you know the Cohen brothers as as filmmakers, but I, I've heard that they, when they write a script, they 
they purposely don't plot it out because they reckon if if they know what's going to happen, then the audience will sense what's going to happen too. It'll bleed through the story. And so there won't be as much suspense and surprise and all that sort of stuff. I don't know whether you've heard mm. of that theory before. I haven't heard that. That's cool. I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that as a reason not to plot. <laughs> yeah, but do you feel sort of like locked into a thing or how, how is your plotting? Not necessarily. I mean, I say claustrophobic, not, not necessarily locked in because I, I know I can just change it if I want to. It's more mm. like I just get really restless and impatient. I'm like, why am I doing this? I should be writing. Because mm. uh, it's the writing that's the, the exciting part for me. And I like discovering things as I go. Yeah. And I found I'm a lot better at it now because I'm a bit more disciplined, but I still lapse into that feeling where if I know what's going to happen, I've got no real interest writing it. Yeah, wow, like, that's interesting. Yeah, I like that, discovering it as I go. And I guess at the moment, part of what is a bit of a insecurity maybe is the fact I know my writing works if I don't plot it. Yes, it, I, I can write 60, 70,000 words in the wrong direction, but at least I know it works. Whereas at the moment mm. I'm looking at this cork board, I'm looking at my wall of sticky notes and I'm thinking, I don't know if this is even going to work. This could make my writing worse. Am I willing yeah. to risk that? Am I, am I willing to risk, you know, my reader's satisfaction on that? And what, like you say, when you're on that tight turn, turn around with your, with your work, it's quite hard to, like you say, you couldn't like write a whole book and then go, okay, well, it clearly didn't work. Back <laughs> to the drawing board, you know what I mean? <laughs> that is, that's what, that's like my secret nightmare right now. I'm thinking, <laughs> ooh. But then also, I could probably write a lot quicker if I could frame it around these, these beats. So, I don't know, Ben. I think, I, I think I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, you sound a bit. You sound a bit in the middle of it. Um, can I ask, like, what what are you actually doing? Because I can see the sticky notes. So, what does a sticky note look like? Obviously, don't want to spoil book three at yeah, all. But I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you exactly what my process looked like for the first time. Is that I have this box of oh, one well, standing up, but can't even see it. <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> um, no, I want to see it. Oh, you want to see it? All right, yeah, I'll I go find it. it. I have this I box of books. Describe it for the people in the audio podcast land. <laughs> well, I so I have a, a box of no a box of cards. Sorry, and it's called Untranslatable, and it's all these cards in other languages that can't be translated into English. And what I did was yeah. I grabbed this box out, and I laid the cards in front of me, and I kind of shuffled them, and then just put down one card, and I said, okay. That's what my current, um, that's the current state of my main character. And then I put another card next to him and said, all right, that's his, that's his, pre, pre, uh, his previous state, his previous emotional state. And then I put another one down and I said, that's where he's aiming for. And so then I had my, my character arc based at random on these cards I picked up. And, wow. then, I, <laughs> and then I thought, um, they, like the one I picked up, it's, it's Portuguese. I'm not going to try and pronounce it. Sauda. It's pronounced S. It's spelled S-A-U-D-A-D-E. Mm -hmm. A bittersweet, melancholic yearning for something beautiful that is now gone. Perhaps a love affair, a childhood home, a flourishing business. There is pain, yet also a pleasure that such loveliness once graced our lives. And I thought, that's great. And I put that 
and and that happened to come in my character's prior state and i thought beauty that works i stuck it up on my wall i shuffled the cards i pulled out another one i said yep that's gone up on my wall and so i mapped on the wall in sticky notes a theoretical character arc for an yeah. as yet unnamed character and because it was spontaneous and full of these beautiful words that there aren't really language for in English, I knew it would be a unique journey. I knew it could be emotionally powerful. And then I shuffled a few rounds and I thought, yep, that's my character arc. Now let's try and pick a series of actions that will support that character arc. Um, and that was a different planning process where I actually got out books about um, the hero's journey, about mythic story structure. Yeah, about sure. One, two, three, started laying out the specific beats, like my opening scene, like meeting the hero, setting up. Um, and now I'm just putting, here's my cat. Now I'm just putting um, some ideas into what happens in each of those scenes that will support my character's journey. That is, <laughs> um, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I feel. <laughs> I feel like not, is that not how you're supposed to plot? <laughs> no, no. Like I don't, you know, I don't know how anyone's supposed to do anything, right? Because writing's <laughs> each to their own. But like, I feel like you swung completely in the opposite direction. Like, you've gone from just feeling it out and going with the flow, and that is such an involved process. That's so interesting. I know. I, I have this tendency to not do things by halves. So that's yeah. a good tendency. I went, a, I went a little bit crazy with my plotting. <laughs> See, because with me, because the, the first book I wrote was very much by the seat of my pants and just sort of felt, yep. felt it out. Mm -hmm. um, but then I experienced the same thing where I thought, well, there's a lack of craft in the way the tension ebbs and flows. And there's a bit of plotty stuff that I could have. I mean, I love that book, but I, I still think that there's, I can do better. So the next yep. book, because it was a lot more plot heavy, I mapped it out as well, but mine was nowhere close to what you've done there. Like I would have a whole chapter would be summed up in a sentence. Like, you know, the cop meets the cop, you know, the cop son um, disappoints her and mm. uh, she experiences small town mentality. That would be it. And then I'd have to do that and capture that within 5,000 words. It was nowhere close to the level of, because uh, okay. I don't, I felt like, I wanted to be able to still feel the scene out. And mm. what I've always bucked against when, whenever I've plotted like really heavily, especially emotional stuff, it mm. didn't, I couldn't feel it anymore. It yeah, felt, okay. does that make sense? Like when I'm trying to write a scene, I like to inhabit the character a little bit and try to mm. experience the terror and the feelings of what they would be actually going through in the scene. And then if I'm writing in my, okay, she's supposed to feel terrified now. It felt a little bit dead to me, at okay. least. I don't know whether that's what you're experiencing right now or... Because it sounds like Did it could find... be really cool. If you pull that off, it sounds like it could be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, theoretically, it sounds, it sounds great. Um, did you find that plotting... So in that way, you know, having your one-sentence synopsis for each chapter, did you find that fixed those potential plot black holes that you encountered in your first book or? Yeah, it did a little, it did a little that the snake Island obviously has um, 
a lot of characters. And so there was a lot of stuff that I kind of necessarily had to have them interacting in ways. And it, it sort of just by structure necessitated, I knew a little bit more of how it would go. Um, But yeah, it did, it did definitely, I think, make it a tighter book. Like I'm always aware of, um, I don't want to waffle, I guess. Okay. I was just going to ask, do you think that's, um, so your first book to become a whale, is that, do you read back through it now and think, oh man, I, I waffled a bit here or? Yeah, especially in the first um, section, which again, I still love it in its own way because I think that writing can be lots of stuff. So it doesn't always need to be tension and, you know, ripping through and it can be smaller moments, but I look back at it and I think I would have, I would have truncated that first section and got them to the actual whaling station a bit quicker. Um, So I spent a bit too much time, I feel. Um, Again, I love that book, but I think it was, it's an un... It was me with with a lot less um, craft, I guess, which I guess you just have to work out as you go, right? You have to sort of mm. figure out to write, um, how to write in front of everyone in a way once one of your books is published. Mm. How did you handle second book syndrome? <laughs> I really like how this has turned into <laughs> you, <laughs> your podcast. I just, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I need good. affirmation because I'm I'm suffering from it right now. <laughs> oh, um, I actually wrote the first draft of Snake Island before To Become a Whale came out. So that gap between, uh, uh, yeah. you know, when you get story notes mm. and then you have like, well, for me, it was a decent six or eight months before the book would come out. So I returned it then and then I had that chunk of time. And I wrote the first draft before To Become a Whale came out. And so then after To Become a Whale, press and things like that, um, I got to return to the manuscript and sort of read it. I think Stephen King actually mentions it. And on writing, like, he'll put a manuscript away for a few months in a drawer and then he'll return to it and hopefully have fresh eyes because there's a bit of distance from it. So it was actually quite helpful. And then I had to just really polish it. So I didn't have as much... That being said, I don't think I have, with To Become a Whale, I didn't have as much, um, what's the word, expectation probably placed on me as what you have. And especially being a crime thriller author, there's a particular Mm. type of thing that your audience is hungry for, which is probably making it a bit harder for you. Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's the best, is the best possible problem to have. To have Absolutely, yeah. Want to read your next book? Like, I'm not, I'm not at all complaining. It's just, um, especially you just want to do start, well, right? You want to do well. Well, you want, to... Uh, you want to. I mean, there's different, there's different aspects of yourself that comes into it. There's, there's the human side, which is terrified of rejection and failure, and you, you convince that if this isn't ten times better than the bluffs, you're going to lose all your readership and you know die of failure. Yeah. And then yeah. there's the more mercenary <laughs> no side. i mean we're writers right we can we can afford to be dramatic then there's the the more mercenary side which says that if this book isn't a success like i'm not gonna sell enough copies to be able to do this as a living like uh, you know that's that's the goal i think most writers probably have is to be Mm -hmm. able to sustain ourselves with our writing and i've got a really good shot of doing i mean yeah like 
yeah, you if do. this next one is successful. And so there's that part of you. And then there's, um, because I'm, I'm a coach, I, I've been finding ways to try and coach myself through these thoughts and just say, just relax. You're overthinking it. You yeah. know, this is a normal feeling. Um, but there's a real expectation that came at the start because a lot of the reviews on Instagram mainly were, they ended with, I can't wait for the next book or can't wait mm. to see what he does next. Yeah. And it was all those little pressures add up um, in a beautiful way. I'm not complaining. Yeah. But also, please stop writing that because it's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, like you said, it's an absolute. It must be an absolute beautiful privilege to have people waiting for your next book and to have contracts. I mean, I'm sure probably a lot of people listening to this podcast are thinking, you know, that's my dream. But it's very interesting to hear that, you know, uh, there's, there's definitely pressure. And I think that you're, you're just wanting to be the best writer you can possibly be and please your audience, um, which I don't think is a bad thing at all. I guess, um, I guess it's where it turns into, like, like you say, self-doubt and insecurity and where it might, might be hard to switch that part off, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You've got to take, for me at least, I've had to take really concerted efforts just to intentionally switch it off. Mm. Um, but then also reaching out to other writers has been pretty helpful. And um, I was talking to um, Benjamin Stevenson and Catherine Firkin, who we have a little group chat because we did some events together. Mm. And uh, they've been really great. <laughs> They're coaching me through the yeah. feelings I've got at the moment. And it's, it's just really nice to hear that you're not alone in these thoughts because you find well, you, you go so long wanting to be a writer. Yeah. You go so long putting all your effort into how to query agents, how to you know, write a good book, how to get past rejection, how to plot, how to get crisp prose. And then you push and push and push and suddenly you step into, I'm a published writer. And there's an amazing, you know, initiation, spiritual experience when you cross that threshold. You know, everyone who's out there who's listening, who wants to be a writer, it is 100% worth it. Like Just for that feeling of stepping into, I'm a published author. Hmm. But, then you, but then you get there and all of the skills you've learned along the way don't prepare you for the strange psychosocial um, ramifications mm. of, of that new title. They don't, they don't, they don't prepare you for that, which is something that I didn't see coming. I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't expect the success I had, but I, I didn't expect to be caught. So flat, flat footed. Um, yeah, by the well, I appreciate your honesty, man. Like that's, I, I can, I can totally relate. Like it's, you have to, there's probably a lot to do with writing. There's probably a lot to do with writing where you place a lot of like your identity and who you are in your books. And that's, I think what it's supposed to be. But then it's like when you're starting out and you're just writing, like you say, and you're practicing on your own, it's sort of more self-contained and it's a little less mm-hmm. yeah. maybe vulnerable. But then when you're on a stage and there's people who want more of you or want, I guess it's just about, it's like you're being, it's like you're being pointed at a little bit maybe and your identity is sort of like wrapped up in the writing. It's sort of a bit of a messy thing to sort of 
like I don't know how you went with the bluffs, yeah. but like even having you know um, friends and family uh, not read my book like was shocking to me to begin with. I don't know whether you ex- <laughs> like I was like it, it, it like hurt my feelings. Like, what are you doing? Like I. And I got I got like that, some preview copies for some people, and because they don't read books, like what was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> the book's a big ask, and I was like, "How much are you supposed to read my books?" It took me a long time to like let that go and like be okay. It's fine, man. You read it if you want. You don't have to read it. And being fine with like the one star reviews on Goodreads, and oh, you know, don't, don't. good read, good reads. Step away <laughs> from the Goodreads. This is the siren sounding. Step away. I know you want to, but step away. See, see, I'm weird, I'm weird. Like I can look, I can look at my Goodreads reviews. I can read the negative ones, and it's almost like a process of release to me. Like I'm like, okay, they didn't like it, and I, I practice not taking it personally. I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm just sadistic. Let's um, see. That's so interesting because I'm, I'm a little bit different in that I don't really mind if my friends don't read my book mm. um i would i would i would feel worse if they like force themselves to read it just because it was my book yeah um, see that's that's way healthier than what i was doing like that's much <laughs> that's much better <laughs> and so like one of my best friends in the whole wide world um he like he, him and his wife run a salon and they have the bluffs on the counter of the salon and so people mm. walk in there and they're like oh that's so cool and then so then and so he will say to me you know oh yeah i've sold this many copies of your book today like send them to the bookshop and that's he hasn't amazing. read it <laughs> 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 and, I, and he's like i'll do it one day i said bro don't worry about it like it's fine i don't i don't mind he's being um, that's so cool though like he's being so supportive in yeah. the way that he can be supportive like a book can be huge for people to do when they're not used to reading, like I forgot that because I read so much. I forgot mm. how hard it is to read a whole book. It's not like listen to my demo tape and you've got five minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Crappy he's, song. He's my YouTube account. Check out my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You said, invest weeks of your life into you know, playing through this. Um, but um, I, I, can't do, I can't do good reads um, mainly because, I mean, Humans have a negative a negativity bias anyway. Like negative, Absolutely. negative stuff lights us up, lights our brains up like ten times more. Mm-hmm. Um, I can handle like bad reviews, but what really annoys me is the reviews that say stuff about me as mm. a person, like like stuff like oh, just the typical straight white male writing female characters, or you know, oh, it's really disconcerting when you have a male character. Um, have female characters do this and this and this, and so that I have a male author, and that those kind of reviews get to me because I'm like, do you want to come do my job? Do you want to come <laughs> come <laughs> so in come, come into the <laughs> come into the community, come come into the high schools, come into the drug rehabs where I work, and then you yeah. tell me that I'm doing the you know that kind of stuff annoys me more because I feel like it's it's more of a professional. It just feels yeah. like professional. Whereas the actual, like the other stuff about the plot itself, yeah, okay, sure. If you don't like it, that's fine. Um, I've sold a big bajillion copies. Your, your opinion doesn't matter too much to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, when, but when you say stuff to me like, oh, yeah, obviously written by a straight white male, that really annoys me. 
Yeah, yeah. that's that stuff can be. Yeah, that stuff's very. Um, it is tough. Like, um, it's tough when people. It's tough when people read your your stuff, but then like completely miss the heart of why you wrote it. Mm. That's tough. That's tougher to take than someone who says, "Oh, I didn't like it. it wasn't for me. Um, it was boring." And you're like, "Okay, that's fine. You don't have to enjoy what what I was doing." But someone who takes it in the wrong way, where they didn't—it's almost like the, they didn't read it properly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a way to read this book, and you just—you got the wrong thing. You have another go, but um, obviously you can't. <laughs> You have to kind of let all that stuff go, hey, because you just can't control how people will will read your stuff. You just once it's out into the world, it's like it's it's like you it's like you're having a baby, and then they instantly grow up and become their own person. You have to let them do their own thing and make their own impact on the world, all in the span of about a day. <laughs> exactly in a day, you don't. No one trains you how to do this. You've just got to step into it and boom. Okay, learn how to cope with this incredibly mm. vulnerable emotions you're now feeling. Mm. But what I like about what you just said about, you know, if people, people, people read it the wrong way, but then the flip side of that is people, what I've experienced anyways, is people read the bluffs and they get stuff out of it that I never intended. I yeah. never put in there. That they is they cool. like get really cool stuff out of it. And I think this is, this is the beauty of the written language. Mm. Um, and also, I guess, just wherever people are at emotionally is they'll see stuff in there that I never saw, probably isn't even there. They're just seeing it through their lens. And if it made them feel a little bit better about the world and the book, then beauty, like that's a bonus. Yeah, that is really cool. That is the, the better way of looking at it because I guess, I guess there's a part of every creative person where you sort of want to control every little thing about how a person will view what you do but it is much better to engage with the idea that you know we're all different people and like you say with different lenses and reading a book a thousand different ways is kind of really cool it's the mm. magic of reading isn't it um yeah. i wanted to ask you quickly too um because um, amazingly we're already out of time <laughs> if you can believe that <laughs> I have a list of questions here. I haven't gotten to a single one, if you can believe that too. Um, something I saw really interesting on your Instagram and I wanted to talk to you about uh, is that you've been location scouting. And I've never done that. I've never gone to a location and actually scouted out a location. So I was wondering, like, is that really important for your process to find real places to write about? And then how do you work those things into your, your novels? So part of um, the bluffs that resonated with so many readers was the attention to detail in the landscape. And that comes from both, it's definitely a love letter to Tasmania because I'm Tasmanian born and bred. And down here we are, we are our own people. <laughs> and the, the bush and the landscape, the mountains, they're in, it's in our blood. And so it's important to me as a human, as a Tasmanian, that the Tassie landscape comes across. Mm. Um, so I, it also gives me an excuse to travel and justify it with my writing schedule. But what I, so the second book is set in, um, in Eagle Hawk Neck. And so that's a, a place here in Tassie. It's about an hour's drive from where I am right now in Hobart. And it's got these massive sea cliffs and awesome coasts, great 
geographical marvels, bushland. Oh, it's awesome. And mm. so I wanted to capture that, but I captured it in the first draft and then I went on constant trips to Eagle Hawk Neck to continually capture it in more layers, more and more detail, each kind of pass of the, of the draft. Yeah, wow. Um, for the, the, of, of, of the thing about that is that now my readers want that. And so I need to, or I want to honor that and keep mm. providing that. So I need to, I need to find another part of the Tassie landscape that resonates with me. And there's so many awesome places down here that I could uh, write about. So location scouting is just driving around, trying to find somewhere that catches my eye. And then, because everything's, I mean, writing is visual. We can try and pretend it's not, but it absolutely is. Mm, and then absolutely. once it's caught my eye, um, just kind of stay there a while and see if there's any other parts of it that resonate. Yeah, that's cool. That's so cool. Like I've, um, I think that's a much better way of doing it. And I think that really does come across in your writing, especially um, detail is probably so important to capturing a landscape, like those little things that only the person who'd actually been there can notice. Mm. Um, uh, the last, actually, I've got two more questions for you. This is just my, I just wanted to talk to you. <laughs> and ask <you> these <laughs> <things>. <laughs> it's all, This is not being recorded at all, Kyle. I'm just, this is just, you know, <laughs> fake oh, the whole thing. Good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So you said in an interview I heard you give, I forget where it was, sorry, um, but you That's said right. that physical exercise is important to you and helps you be more creative. And I really mm. loved what you had to say about that. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind um, just having a quick chat with us about like, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Like how does going pump an iron and having big biceps help your creative <laughs> process? So what it does... So as a writer, our bodies are the instrument. Mm -hmm. So every part of our bodies, um, from our mind to our eyes, to our tongue, um, even to our fingers. And what we know about um, mental health is that mental health, um, the, the, the bedrock of solid mental health is good nutrition, um, good sleep and exercise. And in the exact same way, the, the bedrock to good creativity, which comes from our mind and in a very real way is supported by good mental health, also comes from good nutrition, good sleep and exercise. And mm. so to, be, to get your body as the instrument humming and working in the right way it needs to, to get your mind working sharp and able to juggle and balance things and to get your imagination um, coming up with, with, with new ideas and potentials, you really need to get your body the best it can be. And exercise is 100%. Uh, uh, you can't avoid, you can't really avoid it if you want your, your creativity to work at its best uh, capacity. So that's why when people ask me for writing advice at the start, that was what I said to everyone. I said, you need good sleep, good nutrition, exercise because if you do those three things then your creativity will lift and so will everything else in your life <laughs> yeah yeah it's all like a, a fresh mind and um i really love that concept like looking after yourself looking after your mind um 
it just allows you to unlock like that maybe that extra 10 20 percent that wasn't there before when mm. you weren't you know eating well and you weren't being nutritious and your your mental health is occupied with you know other things like so many things contribute to anxiety and i'm yeah. sure there's probably a, a real link and you know obviously just talking out of my ears here but there's probably a real link between creative people and artists and sensitivity and then like ease into anxiety and and yeah. um depression and you know that it's a, a, to keep yourself well is yeah, like where our minds are the instruments and i think that's a really good notion mm. and i even i noticed that in my so in the deep when i wrote some of the first parts i was going through we were going through COVID stuff and also my work, I was working at drug rehab and it was very, there was a lot going on. Um, mm. And I was, I was getting into pretty stressed out, burnt out space emotionally. Yeah. And it came across in the book because my publisher gave me notes and she said, what is the moral of this story, Kyle, that the bad guys win? Like, why isn't this positive? Yeah. And so you, you notice that I noticed that when my mental my mental health was fine, but my outlook was quite bleak because yeah, I was surrounded by... Yeah, got a bit stuff. darker. That's interesting. So it came across in the book. And what, what we know is that when people pick up a book, they want to be taken out of bleakness. They want to... Even if it's a sad story, they still kind of want a happy ending. And so if you don't provide <laughs> that positivity, you're probably not going to sell books, to be honest. Yeah. No, no, I, I 100% agree. Of, uh, <laughs> going back to my Goodreads reviews and... <laughs> my lack of a happy happy ending in my book, Snake Island, man. Um, it's one thing, like if it's a negative review, it always says, didn't like it, didn't like the ending, didn't like the characters, didn't, the <laughs> didn't like it. I, I didn't like anyone in this book. They want a hero. They want someone they can sympathise with. And, and they don't need to be purely morally good, but someone with good intention, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Mm. Um. My other question is to finish off. Um, I know that you're a spiritual person. I know that that's something, I mean, I think you've even mentioned it in this interview a little bit, but I just wanted to talk to you, like how does that affect your writing? Like how does that change the way you view, I guess even everything that we've just talked about, like how does that lens help you navigate all of this? Yeah, it's a really good question. And what, what we know about people who have faith um, like just even like an empirically from studies, people with faith have much more resilience because mm. we believe in something, believe in a higher power and believe everything's going to work out. So if I didn't have faith, uh, if I didn't believe in God and that writing was what I was made to do, then I wouldn't have made it through those first 10 failed manuscripts. I probably would have given yeah. up after manuscript five. So you know, like just even empirically, concretely, regardless of your beliefs, my faith has resulted in me pursuing this dream until it's reality. Um, at a more micro level, it's definitely, I don't know, like in the deep, there's no mention of spirituality really at all. Um, and again, it's probably because I was going through such a bleak time. I just was like, no, nah, <laughs> don't want to talk yeah. Um, but it's definitely a massive part of, of how I see the world. And I don't think it's talked about very often in fiction, at least not without, if it's in fiction, it's usually got some kind of agenda or it's yes. the bad. Guy. It's, well, it's very hard to avoid. 
that mm. agenda. Again, talking about people's lenses on it, like there are some words you could put into a manuscript that people would perhaps read and just instantly get a little bit of a, oh, get the hackles up a little bit just because of the climate we live yeah. in, really. Yeah, and I've, what how it was difficult at the start is that I, like I'm from a family that doesn't swear, um, and, you know, I'm like, I'm they're on swearing, the They're swearing in the bluffs. Uh, I, there's 47 F words in the bluffs. I counted them. And yet, Dude. and yet I'm still, I'm still on the preaching roster at my church. So that's, oh, well. that's a good <laughs> Yeah. You've done something there. You've done something. Well, well, I mean, like you've got to, you've got to speak the truth. It would be, it would be false not to include dialogue that is actually. True to the characters you're writing about. I agree wholeheartedly. Mm. So, but how, how it affects, I mean, without my faith, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be, I would probably wouldn't believe in um, being able to make a difference in my writing. Whereas it, as it is at the moment, spirituality is a great lens. And I'm kind of, every time I'm sitting down to plot now, I'm like, oh God, please help me plot. <laughs> <laughs> that's very, I'm sure that's very helpful. Um, <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. I guess we will. But I mean, I was, you know, I didn't have an agenda with that question, but even um, just as I was asking you, like I'm thinking of the bluffs and just it does seem, it seems grand in a way that maybe thinking of these uh, bigger things and, and a spiritual sense of how things are connected, you know, maybe um, if you didn't have that personally, it might not have come through with the tone of your book. Mm. It's funny, hey, like so much of us bleeds out into the writing that is unintentional, I think. Yeah. Like, and you can't help it. You can't help. It's a very naked thing, isn't it, to, to put a book out and then have people, I mean, we've talked about that, but, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, especially because you don't, you don't expect it. You think that you're so in control. You think yeah. that you only present what, what you want to present. And then your publisher comes back and says, oh, man, did you have a bad month? Or <laughs> Yeah. I get that a lot. Yeah. Like, I get that from my agent all the time. She's like, why? Why are you so violent? Like, why is this so, <laughs> why is this so dark and so upsetting? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's like something in me where I just <laughs> puzzle those things out through writing, I guess. But Yeah. It is funny. Other people reading your stuff and reflecting you back to you, man. It's magic. It's absolutely awesome. Yeah. That's the that's why we do it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, uh, I guess we'll finish there. We'll stay well, man. And I hope all that plotting stuff works out. Yeah, I will. Um, I'll try and I'll try and keep everyone updated on my Instagram, but I'm, it's a little bit, a little bit too, vulnerable at the moment to do so <laughs> yeah no i appreciate how um honest and reflective you've been man like i reckon people when they listen to this will will get a lot out of everything you've said here so appreciate you thank you no thank you thanks for asking me i'm, I'm glad that you that you uh you remembered when i when i scouted your podcasting talent yeah you I, did. I think it, it was i probably was a words and nerds podcast was it it might have uh, been I, yeah Danny's very nice and lets me talk a lot on words and nerds, so it might have been. <laughs> oh, uh, man, I'll we'll sure. stay well and uh, looking forward to reading your next one. Yeah, you too. You too. You have a good one. <laughs>